Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Indian Wells catch-up. Rafa Nadal sets up Nick Kyrgios encounter. Iga Sviantek and Simona Halep are set for a semi-final showdown. And Daniel Medvedev loses his number one ranking. Kim, today is the 17th of March and we are here to take a look back on all the action so far in Indian Wells at Passing Shot HQ. We are in the midst of tennis paradise. We are getting into the business end of the tournament. But Kim, before we get into that very exciting day at Passing Shot HQ, it's our 250th episode. I know. I can't believe we've made it this far, Joel. It's a quarter, Nor can I, to be honest. No. quarter of a... Um, <laughs> quarter of a thousand what's that quarter of a millennium <laughs> i don't know what the the relevant like material or metal you know is to celebrate a 250th anniversary maybe like stardust or something maybe it should be like yellow yellow tennis felt on on the tennis ball that's the i think that should be the material of choice but uh yeah it's been it's been amazing i mean listeners i wonder how many of our listeners have been here from the very start uh but you're all incredible thanks for for being with us on this journey 250 episodes amazing stuff i'm looking forward to kim we are getting closer and closer to a point where you could have an episode for every day of the year from passing shot hq and you know as a diehard fan as a as a host you know that is that's the moment we all want to achieve right when we can have one episode per day in our lives for a whole year well that could be a new like daily you know meditation practice <laughs> you go out listen to the podcast and also a nice flashback over tennis since 2018 Mm. when we began like that would you know if you sort of trying to swat up for mastermind or something and that's your specialist subject tennis 2018 onwards you know that would be fantastic way to (laughs) to swat up but uh, who's gonna do that i i doubt i doubt anyone will but it might be interesting see how far we've come um but yeah thanks to everyone for listening and um following us on this journey uh we're so happy to have you with us um as we kind of make it to, you know, 250 beyond, etc. Um, and to mark this special episode, um, we're doing, yeah, like a summary, a midweek summary of Indian Wells. A lot has happened, I think, over the last week on tour um, out in the Californian desert. And uh, I mean, we're recording this as the, uh, well, the, the two uh, quarterfinals on the women's side of the draw, um, in the bottom side of the draw, I should say, are getting underway and we've got a raffer against Nick Kyrgios later. So a whole, um, you know, evening of, of great tennis ahead of us. But we're going to catch up on what we've seen already um, out in uh, Indian Wells. Yeah. And let's start with the men's action, because, Kim, this the men's side, the men's side of the draw, it's just been full of shocks, I feel, since 
since day one, really, you know, we've had Daniel Medvedev go out. We've had Stefanos Sissipas go out. We've had Alexander Zverev go out. Felix Auger-Aliassime has gone out. All the all the big seeds um, have gone out earlier than, you know, yeah, in particular, I was expecting. And, you know, let's, let's look at the top half of the draw, the story of the top half. We know uh, our quarterfinalists. We've got Rafael Nadal and Nick Kyrgios, who are on bit later uh, this evening and we've also got Cam Norrie and Carlos Alcaraz in this top path but let's talk about someone who's not going to be there and that is the world number one or should I say the former world number one Daniel Medvedev I mean I guess he's still world number one at the moment but Daniel Medvedev won't be there he has he was he was upset by Gel Monfils great match three sets Monfils was absolutely on it, tearing, tearing through forehands, being the entertainer with some side spin underarm serves. Uh, it was, yeah, really, really great to see. But uh, yeah, not so great, I think, if you're a Daniel Medvedev fan. And, you know, there was always, I think, a suspicion that going into this tournament, the conditions, the slow conditions and, you know, the types of opponents he he got with his draw, particularly with someone like a Monfils, who is a very... You know, we know him as a very speedy, agile character off the, across the court. It wasn't going to be the greatest matchup for him. No, it wasn't going to be um, the, the the easiest matchup. You know, Monfils mm. has been in, in good form this this year. He got to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, um, and you know, had that narrow loss, um, didn't he, at the AO, and you know, could mm. have gone further. To be honest with you, he's been he's been doing well since kind of coming back, um, and Medvedev. You know, there's a lot of pressure on him as, you know, the world number one. This is his first tournament that he's played as the world number one, which, you know, just changes things, doesn't it? When you've got kind of all that hype around you, not to mention what's going on kind of back home in your, your well, not in Russia, but what your home country is doing uh, elsewhere in the world and all of the kind of controversy surrounding that. Um, that's probably going to be playing on his mind as well. And he really just lost it um you know he does what he what he usually does and self-combusting in matches smashing his rackets I think he pulverized one all over the court and I think Monfils just took advantage of that as well like Medvedev kind of had really lost the plot by by that third set and um Monfils was yeah on it it was it was great to see it was it was a really um strong performance from from Monfils yeah, it was really, really impressive. I mean, this is a guy, you know, similar to Nadal. He's, you know, getting into the, I feel like the, you know, the tail end of his career. He's 35 years old, but at the same time, he's played some of the best tennis I've, you know, I've seen him play on, on, on the tennis court this season. And, um, you know, he always, I think he always, I think is a, you know, he, he is known as an entertainer. And I think the, you know, the drawback is as you get older, I think is that you, could get looked at by tennis fans as a bit of a a nostalgia player in terms of someone who you know I think takes to the tennis court is a bit of a throwback and you know you live in the you always kind of live in the past and I think you know a lot of people might see Gael Monfils as a player like that in terms of yeah I've I've heard about his former glories kind of from from back in the day and I'll I'll go see him but you know I think this this match particularly against Medvedev was a reminder that 
he is a player for the present and you know he's probably taken great inspiration from someone like Nadal who's doing again incredible things at a similar age and again these players are not you know not to be not to be counted out and it was such a great performance he put together as i said his forehand was <laughs> unbelievable just unloading and he really just kind of steamrolled that third set i mean he won the match 4-6 6-3 6-1 had carlos alcaraz afterwards couldn't get the victory there but nonetheless um it was a great win for monfis and for medvedev there feels like there are more there are more questions than answers kim you know djokovic is going to be back in uh you know the number one position he'll have to reset quickly and refocus um you know on miami and as you said there's still this uncertainty i feel lingering around you know the fact that medvedev is from russia you know there are other sports where Russian players who, um, you know, they might not be involved in the, you know, in the regime or actively kind of supporting it, but, you know, are not able to to play their sport. And this is, I think, a lingering sort of cloud that is, I think, sh- is is over the, uh, you know, the Russian players at the moment. And, you know, Daniel Medvedev feels like the the number one in that in that spot, even if his his ranking isn't. Yeah, um, there were sort of rumours coming out that he he to play Wimbledon, he may have to sort of proactively denounce Vladimir Putin to be able to sort mm. of gain entry to to play Wimbledon I don't I don't know sort of how valid this scenario is um I don't you know they've already been stripped of obviously their sort of nationality that they're, they're not representing a country anymore um that applies to Belarusian players as well I'm not really sure uh, how relevant it, it would be to sort of require mm-hmm. a Russian or Belarusian player to sort of have to go further than that and then to sort of prevent them from actually playing you know especially as a lot of the tennis players you know they they don't live in Russia anymore or Belarus they um have no links to the regime they're independent individuals and I don't think I personally agree with preventing them from playing a tennis tournament just because of where they happen to have been born you know 25 years ago or whatever um I I don't I'm not really sure how that would necessarily help anything yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, I think we saw also from the the CEO of the the WTA come out this week and I think he was of the the same opinion in the sense that, you know, he's very, you know, pro having Russian players play on the on the tour, but you know, at, at the same time, yeah, we're seeing, you know, that Grand Slams for example might take it into their own hands and I know, you know, just being a fan having grown up with Wimbledon over the years, it is a Grand Slam that doesn't like to to get involved in politics so you know hearing this sort of news is in that regard is a little bit surprising i mean i've i've been there and times you know it's been very tricky to even take in a a flag that's sort of i think how i think politically kind of sensitive they are and they obviously i think want to kind of protect the the grand slam from being a, a political hotbed they don't obviously want any situations where you know I guess worst case scenario would be a player coming out and announcing, you know, they support Putin and, and what's going on. That doesn't feel like that's a, a feasible scenario at the moment, but it sounds like at the same time, they're still trying to potentially get some sort of, some sort of promise in place from the players that, um, you know, if, if they want to play this tournament, then, you know, and you're from Russia, then you might have to go one step further, not, not playing, and playing not just with your your country and your flag, that might not be enough um, to play at a Grand Slam. So, you know that is a a moving 
debate and we'll we'll see how that that evolves but yeah certainly interesting and certainly feels that at the moment with some people having no country um and having no you know representation uh is not enough um and alexander dolgopolov this week who has joined sergey starkovsky uh in joining uh the front lines um in ukraine um and becoming a, a soldier has again kind of said this in terms of you know he actually doesn't think that's enough so there's going to be people with with different opinions and i think obviously that depends on how you know close you are to the the situation but um yeah it was quite interesting to see how yeah a player like dogopolov obviously you know ukrainian born he thinks it's not strong enough and actually he would kind of support that that situation so there's certainly kind of two arguments that i think that are forming that yeah it 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 remains to be seen how how far you know how far each one of them is going to go yeah i suppose you know if daniel medvedev ended up winning wimbledon there might be a lot of outcry mm. um but I, I don't see the current sort of russian tennis players that we have at the top of the game being the mm. ones to sort of come out and say anything controversial but no. um i mean know, they've done they, the opposite they've, they've done the opposite exactly. so far so it feels yeah. very it feels very it, like opposite <laughs> very opposite. yeah it feels unnecessary to have to sort of prevent mm. them from um you know playing Wimbledon or having to denounce because they've yeah they've done the opposite and kind of denounced the war and I almost feel like by preventing them from playing you're kind of inviting politics in when I guess the goal is to keep politics out of the tournament but by sort of making a a thing of it it's kind of doing the opposite but I I don't know I mean we'll have to see how Medvedev is is by Wimbledon because if he can get back up to being world number one or you know could it be the shortest ever reign for a, a world number one and Djokovic is just um you know he's back to number one pick up where he left off <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is quite funny I mean I mean it's 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 bizarre that you know I think we were all kind of set for you know this new era and, and Daniel Medvedev on top it was an incredible achievement you know going you know decade plus with no one else outside the you know the the big four in terms of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray uh being world number one and then it happened and it was almost a a flash in the pan moment and you know Novak Djokovic even though he's only played one tournament this season uh, out in Dubai is back on top so um you know I've, I'm sure you know that will change and and who knows Kim maybe at the moment given you know the status of of Djokovic it might just fluctuate uh, throughout the season we might not have a sort of you know an established consistent presence at the top given you know the lack of activity from some players and potentially the form um, of other players and you know I, I have no doubt that for Medvedev this I think was more of a blip I, I certainly think the court conditions and the, the setup doesn't necessarily play to his strengths and I think you know moving on to, to Miami I think he'll be able to kind of yeah put that right and, and reset. Yeah, um, definitely. And and you mentioned Carlos Alcaraz, who has kind of come through at that top section of the draw. He's been playing really well, um, coming through, like thrashing Roberto Bautista Agut. Absolute obliteration. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's got obviously Cam Norrie next, who has reached um, the quarters in his title defence, which is really nice to see. I think he's actually reached the quarterfinals at all of his last um, few events now. And obviously having really 
really good form, obviously reaching at least the quarterfinals, I should say, um, you know, having two finals and a and a trophy in there. So I'm really pleased Cam was able to kind of come through against, um, you know, some, some tricky matches. Um, Jensen Brooksby, uh, Basilashvili, which was a repeat of last year's final. Um, I think there was a bit of spec, well, bit bit of sort of controversy about the fact that as defending champion, he was put on stadium court five to begin his title defence. Um, some may have felt that was unfair, but I mean, he's still not a household name and he was playing uh, Pedro Martinez in the first round. So, well, second round, um, you know, wasn't probably the, the most tantalising of, of matchups. So I do understand probably the tournament organisers. Oh, um, that one. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think for me, I'd be a bit I'd be a bit annoyed. Um, you know, I think I think regardless of who who you are, who your opponent is. You know, you put so much into the tournament and making the tournament, you know, last time out. I think he deserved a, a better spot. And I think for, for British fans, certainly, I feel like he's been playing at all the awkward times. But there is a part of me at the same time, I'm like, I kind of quite like this because he's going through, even though he's defending champion, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like going into this tournament, there was just no no expectation uh on him and you know he's just kind of coming through um each of these matches one by one playing really really well i mean that match against brooksby uh was very very uh you know very very good win because brooksby had just come off beating stefanos sissipas so you know for nori he's just like a he's very very reliable i think and, and consistent and maybe that was a little bit lacking i think at the the start of the season i think there was maybe a little bit of a dip but great to see him come back with that consistency and you know kim he is very close to becoming a, a top 10 ranked player and i think that really shows you know what what hard work can do in terms of being a threat on, on all court surfaces and although i don't think cam nori has you know many kind of mark out mark out wins you know particularly i think at a grand slam level it just feels like he always runs into someone like rafa um and and kind of you know uh, and falls away but um you know i certainly think on the tour he's he's just developed himself into a very wily and competitive uh player and you know to go kind of into the top 10 um it's sort of i think snuck up on a lot of people in terms of just where his his level is at and you know i I think you know not everyone is gonna like the way i think he plays tennis but you can't i think deny his his work ethic and you know his approach to to tennis and i think that's what's been so impressive in terms of him you know rising up the rankings yeah, I think his um he's really maximizing his game and his mm. mentality is is very good. I think he's mm. a real um as you said like hard worker and I think that really shows. He's got a really good demeanor on court and I think a lot of people, you know, greatly respect him for it. So I I I like both him and Alcaraz. I kind of want them both to win that match. Where where are you thinking? I think Alcaraz will win it. I mm. think he might have a bit too much firepower, but um, I'm really pleased Cam's got to at least the quarterfinals as we're recording this. And as you said, it might have helped him sort of not being put on the main court first match yep. or, you know, defending champion, all that pressure. I sort of envisage Alcaraz like leapfrogging Nori in terms of like the rankings. Uh, I think, you know, Alcaraz is like, I think seven ranking spots below Nori at the moment. But yeah, you've, I think... I think it's, you know, this, you know, people might say this is a bit harsh, but I think people have been more excited by the brand of tennis that Alcaraz has shown this season and the, the heights that he could potentially reach already. 
and given yeah his sort of demolition jobs that uh he's had so far in particular that match with RBA which I thought was going to be you know very close you know the conditions in in India Wells are quite slow but Alcaraz was just on you know another level so um I you know I could see yeah I I you know I I put Alcaraz as the you know the favorite there but at the same time you know Nori knows how to handle these opponents you know these you know these opponents who are you know very physical and aggressive can hit the ball um you know powerfully he knows how to deal with those opponents so it could be a you know another tight a tight matchup yeah i think um I, we shouldn't underestimate cam of course and mm. i think yeah i would annoy that one slightly in the middle of the night <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for british audiences i feel they've gem- been generally quite kind with the british players um you know we've had harriet dart and emma and um andy you know on kind of earlier in the evening but obviously cams you, you, we had quite a lot of british players there which is great so we can't have them all on a suitable time um one player i did enjoy watching last night was rafa against riley apelka uh two tie break sets um it surprise, was a very surprise. yeah two uh, yeah surprise surprise <laughs> riley apelka on court my gosh um <laughs> but yes this was a very um very entertaining match i thought and especially that second set you know it was um quite touch and go at times for rafa really because he um he had the chance, I think, to almost go a, a break up quite early on, wasn't able to to break. And then Apelka ended up breaking Rafa. Rafa threw in a terrible game, hit two double faults and just kind of lost the plot a little bit. <laughs> and Apelka, yeah, um, went a break up and Rafa really had to claw his way back, um, went to a tie break. And I really did think, you know, oh, if Rafa lo- drops this set, it goes to a third. I'm not sure if his foot is going to be able to cope because mm. I think there's been a lot of talk this week about his foot being a bit worse you know I know it's a sort of a lifelong injury and condition that he's got to manage but there just seemed to be signs that he was struggling with it a bit more and I just definitely you know knowing that he's playing the day the, the day after this match you know he really had to get it done in in straight sets yeah it was uh yeah it's been interesting with with Rafa I mean he had that also that incredible match against Corda. Yeah. Um, to start off with, you know, five two down in that third set. Uh, again, <laughs> we all know how much of a, a fighter uh, Rafael Nadal is. Surprise, surprise! It's a bit like a Pelka with with tie breaks, but um, that was all to show in uh, that match against Corda, who I think, you know, I, I think that was one of those good losses. I think for Corda, in the sense of, yes, no one wants to lose from from five two up in in the third set, but at the same time, I think he will take a lot from that. Um, and I think in particular, I think in terms of how he handles those kind of situations, I do think maybe nerves got a little bit the the better of him. Um, and I certainly think, you know, although it would be feel painful for him not to kind of close out a really big victory. Um, yeah, I think that will help him, I think, understand how he needs to handle those moments. And again, I think Rafa, similar to, you know, in the... Uh, you know Australian Open final I think you know he got to a point where he was like I'm just going to make you fight as much as possible if you really want to you know get the win I'm going to make you fight as much as possible and uh, you know Corder wasn't able to get it done but uh, yeah Rafa doing really really well this week yes the foot sounds like it is an issue I was worried kid whether he was gonna maybe withdraw um, from Indian Wells but that hasn't been the case he has withdrawn though from Miami uh, so he's not going to be doing both uh, of the of the sunshine double. It's going to be the sunshine single for him. <laughs> um, 
but um that feels like a smart move i think with the you know the, the impending clay court season coming up which is you know as we know rafa's rafa's home rafa's strength and he's going to want to be as as close to as 100 percent as possible for that yeah, I feel like 100% physical fitness is impossible for Rafa at his age and with this sort of ongoing injury. But like you said, he's used to playing through pain and it just needs to be manageable so that he can approach that clay court season with as much gusto as possible. <laughs> I think missing Miami is, is a wise move. You've got to listen to your body. And I think, you know, he's um, he's played quite a lot of tennis so far this year. You know, 18 matches, all, all won so far. Um, may, cha- may well change tonight. I think probably as we're uploading the podcast He'll probably be coming out into court against Kyrgios. Um, but yeah, I think definitely a wise move uh, for, for Miami to, to miss it. And I mean, if he does lose to Kyrgios tonight as well, you know, it will give him extra time to hopefully recover. Kim, we were speaking about, before the pod about this matchup. You were quite downbeat about this matchup. You, I get the feeling you think this is uh, this has got upset written all over it. I mean, Kyrgios does have, I think, a good record uh, with, now, with Nadal. I think particularly on hard courts. I think they're they're two apiece actually in their head to head on hard courts specifically. Um but yeah this will be a very interesting one. I feel like Kyrgios has been playing some very, very good tennis this week. He's been there's been no fuss, straight sets, Kasparud. I thought there was gonna I thought that was gonna blow up. I thought there were gonna be flashpoints. I was actually a bit disappointed there were no flashpoints. Um but I've been yeah I've been uh yeah a little bit surprised by how well Kyrgios has, has turned out and I think he you know at the same time I think he he looks relaxed but also he looks very motivated and I think when he is in that 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 sort of state I think he is uh you know he's very very dangerous and you know I think with the you know the Kasparud situation and you know all the beef that they have you know with with Rude calling Kyrgios an idiot and you know Kyrgios in return calling him very boring in very unflattering terminology. I think, you know, I think he did well to just sort of put that to one side um, and just sort of get on with it. And I think he had obviously the belief that, you know, he is that he was the better player. And I think he, you know, he really, really showed it. And, you know, I have no doubt with the, the Rafa match, he is also going to be very, very motivated. I think given, you know, their past scuffles on court, I saw always Kim go back to that match they had at Wimbledon with the, uh, the body shot at the net from from Kyrgios. Um, you know, I still don't feel there's a lot of love loss you know, between them. But uh, again, it will be interesting to see how Kyrgios handles that situation because he's not really had any adversity, I feel, this week. And you feel like Nadal at one stage in this, you know, in their match is going to put him in, in some adversity. And it will be, again, a test of Kyrgios in terms of how he deals with that. Because in the past... Whenever he has tasted that that first that first drop of of adversity, it's normally it's normally gone south, and it's normally gone south quite quickly. Yeah, it always depends which Kyrgios turns up, mm. and and like you said, he's been sort of quite under the radar and sort of casual and calm this week, which makes me that maybe that's why I'm downbeat. I think oh, he's obviously <laughs> in the zone this week, which makes him more dangerous than when he's sort of scatty and throwing antics um you know he didn't actually have a match uh in the fourth round because Yannick Sinner had to withdraw with with illness um which is obviously a shame for for Sinner and his crew um but yeah I think I just hope with the with the Rafa Kyrgios match I hope there's just like no spice or antics I just don't want any kind of aggro I've just not you know I'm not Ooh, I'm not here for that be... I want it to be a nice I think there's gonna affair. be some body shots I think oh. there's gonna be 
some body shots at the net. Uh, I want Kyrgios. I want Kyrgios also to go back to. I don't know if he's. I don't think he's doing any of this at the moment. I want him to go and ask the crowd where he should serve. I really love that. I really love that engagement. I'd love to see that come out in the uh, the Nadal match. I'm expecting some underarm serve as well. I think it could be very, very entertaining. But uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what uh, what this evening brings. I mean, moving on to the bottom half of the the men's draw. I mean, this was made very, very open, I think, by the fact that Novak Djokovic was meant to be there. He didn't, he didn't, he was in the draw originally, but had to withdraw. So Grigor Dimitrov got his place as the the mythical number 33 seed. And Kim, he's had a flyer this week. Uh, he's into the quarterfinals, had a really decent win uh, against John Isner. Also came through Andy Murray's conqueror, Alex Bublik. Um, as well so yeah Dimitrov a little bit like Monfils having a not just a nostalgia player actually is here for the present and uh, he you know he he has acknowledged uh, you know in interviews that there's something about the desert that that brings out the the best the best in him and uh, again we're seeing that we're seeing that proven this week I'm just picturing Grigor as some like mythical creature now with like wings and <laughs> how nice would that be? Um, yeah, really pleased for him. He's always a player that I'm always pleased for when he does well because it's mm. like a really nice, pleasant surprise. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he beat Andre Rublev actually, who he's facing Ooh. in that quarterfinal. Oh, I don't know, Rublev. He's been on a bit of a tear. I feel this season. I think he was like he's only what he's one seventeen, lost two. I think mm. this season. So that is, I mean, that is going to be a test, I think, for for both of them. But Rublev again, yeah, very, very, he's, he's doing very, very well as well. Yeah. Yeah, he is very consistent. And actually, if you do look at the other section of the uh, bottom half of the draw, the other quarterfinal is Mio Mir Kekmanovic and Taylor Fritz. So perhaps an unexpected quarterfinal there because, you know, we, we haven't had Matteo Berrettini or nope. Sasha Zverev making nope. their way through. Uh, Kekmanovic beat Berrettini in three sets yesterday and Zverev lost to Tommy Paul in the opening, um, well, in his opening round in on the last set tiebreak. So, you know, Zverev having a right mare of it basically since his incident in Acapulco, you know, largely at fault, obviously, but yeah, really not um, having the greatest time of it on the tennis court. And Taylor Fritz having, yeah, a really nice tournament so far. Um, you know, he had a tight match with uh, Jaume Munar and also Alex de Menor. So coming through in those uh, third set tie breaks, um, that's seemingly his jam uh, at the moment. And I fancy him to beat Kekmanovic, actually. I think, mm. you know, he's sort of on home turf, isn't he? And I, I, I do sort of envisage him in the semifinals and, yeah, making making his way through through that section of the draw. I think I had put PCB to come through this section, so I was very wrong with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was it was Karenio Buster versus Munar. Kim Jaume Munar, I feel like has become uh he's become a fan favourite of of the podcast. Like Spanish journeyman um and Mallorcan journeyman Mallorcan journeyman yeah. Mallorcan journeyman <laughs> and you I think we you were pretty confident given your predictions because you had PCB reaching I think the the semi-finals um so I had to chuckle a little bit when yeah the Mallorcan journeyman Jaume Munar which we obviously mean in the the, the most positive uh of sentiments uh came through in a final set tie break so that all Spanish matchups it was great to see I think Munar come through but yeah as you said Zverev not having a great time of it 
again, I think a lot of people will feel that justice was essentially done in terms of he shouldn't, you know, for a lot of people, he shouldn't have been in the, the tournament in the first place. And for him to kind of lose in his first match to Tony, Tommy Paul, who put a great match uh, together, by the way, particularly just comp- absolutely unleashing on Zverev's second serves, very, very aggressive court position, uh, almost kind of inside the baseline, which I really liked uh, to see. Yeah, it just really rushed Zverev and I think uh, contributed uh, to his defeat. But yeah, Zverev having a, a poor, I think a poor run at the moment. And, you know, I think, you know, I've, again, I've seen on, on social media, you know, talk about, you know, a year, a season ago, uh, 18 months ago, you know, Zverev very much was firmly in the, you know, the new big three kind of conversation. But at the moment, he feels like feels like he's the closest to kind of almost kind of drop off at the moment. And I do wonder, you know, we're seeing with this tournament, maybe the conditions have something to do with it. But, you know, the fact that Medvedev, Sissipas and Zverev have all gone out um, and, you know, the players just behind them are still in the competition I mean, there might be a suggestion here that the, uh, you know, the gap is closing between, you know, between those, uh, between those two. So, um, yeah, not, 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 not the greatest time for those, you know, those next gens, I feel from, you know, two, two, three seasons ago. Yeah. And I think we always expected um, that there would be a lot more Mm. um, mobility in the rankings, you know, compared to the big three slash four that we've had. I think that's a very unusual situation it's unlikely to be repeated continually throughout kind of fourth you know forthcoming seasons but yeah it's I mean that makes it probably a bit more unpredictable and interesting perhaps that you know even the likes of Zverev you, you can't rely on at a master series to to get to a certain stage and I think we kind of probably have learned that already and um, obviously for various reasons uh, different players struggling um, at any given time and you know sits past I don't really know what's going on with Sitsipas. You know, he obviously had that injury um, before the start of this year, but seemed to be doing well at the AO, but, you know, um, hasn't really been the, the same after, like has sort of lapsed again. So really tricky to, um, you know, it's it's a tricky life. It is a tricky life out on tour, isn't it? There's lots of factors that play into it, um, as we allude to. And moving on, Kim, there has been some developments outside uh, of Indian Wells this week. We've had two bits of interesting, interesting news that, again, caught me caught me by surprise at Passing Shot HQ. The first news was that all four Grand Slams are going to be using a 10-point tiebreak to decide final sets uh, when the score reaches six games all, starting at this year's Roland Garros. This is a trial, um, but at the same time, um, it's a very, uh, you know, it feels like a decision, obviously, that the Grand Sams have made collectively. And I think in that sense, you know, see that consistency, that is great. But it's sort of, I think, split the room in terms of the ending of a fifth set being six all as opposed to, you know, potentially going to a John Isner, Nicholas Mahu-esque scoreline. That can no longer happen, Kim. How how are you feeling about that? How are you feeling that we're not going to have any more 60-58 final scorelines or, uh, you know, Kevin Anderson, John Isner-esque epics? 
Oh, 70, 68 rather. Yeah. Um, I. Oh, sorry. My bad. Well, sorry. We wouldn't. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> How could you forget, Joel? Well, we did already have the 12 all, you know, um, sort of tie break thingy, didn't mm. we? Uh, for the last, well, two, well, th- since 2019. So I don't think this makes it. Yeah, obviously it shortens it even further. Um, I think it's good that they're all consistent, I have to say. I don't really like it when one slam does one thing and another one does something else. I think it should be the same because I think if you're playing a a tournament of the same calibre and level, you expect the rules to be the same, you know. So it would be weird, for example, if one Grand Slam had an extra round or, you know, that you'd have to play to win. So um, I think, yeah, it's a sensible move. It makes sense. And it does avoid potentially incredibly long and tiring matches that may very well ruin a subsequent match, uh, which, you know, perhaps we wouldn't have seen so much with 12 alls. But um, in fact, we've only seen the 12 all happen, well, obviously in the 2019 final. And I think there was a match last year, wasn't there? Um which I've forgotten what match that was, but uh, um, I think it's a sensible move. I like the fact that it's consistent. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I want to see it in action, I think, first before yeah, I make any judgments. I think, obviously, you know, I think for fans, there is a part of me that's kind of... I, like, I think tie breaks can be dramatic and we don't have to... It doesn't have to be kind of so prolonged. And that's why I think, you know, 12 all was a nice sort of like you know end point but you know i think given how long kind of matches go on for uh you know nowadays particularly i think how the serve has become such a big weapon uh you know in the modern game particularly obviously on on fast court surfaces like on a on a grass court um you know it's, it's sort of i think making sure that the slams are all protected so that they can they can run on time and i think also that they can be fair and integrity can be kept uh as a competition and i i do like that you know it does i think give players um you know that feeling that you know there is a, an end point that they can that they can visualize as opposed to well this could just go on forever and ever and ever um and i think you know i think from what some of the the players have kind of come out and, and reacted to i think that has kind of come out um in in my head but um yeah i think there will be i think there will be people who are kind of on either side of it and um yeah i do as again i think i think you're right in terms of that consistency um and you know i still think there's as i said there's still going to be great drama i think to be had it's just not it's just going to be in a different format and talking of tennis in britain we also have some news uh, that glasgow have won the bid to host one of the Davis Cup group stages in September. So from the 14th to the 18th of September, um, yeah, some of the the group stages will be up in Glasgow, uh, along with Bologna, Hamburg and Malaga. Um, they still haven't decided the venue for the kind of finals, um, but uh, which will be later on in November. So, but yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and actually in September, we also have the Labour Cup in London. So we've got kind of two big events going on tennis-wise in the UK uh, in September. I know Glasgow have held Davis Cup uh, like home ties, uh, GB home ties before and normally has always had a very good atmosphere. So, um, I, you know, you'd imagine that obviously Great Britain will be playing um, in, in Glasgow, which is, you know, fantastic to have that home support. And I think also um, the LTA have bid for the Billie Jean King Cup as well to be 
the venue for uh, the finals for that. So we'll have to wait and see if we could maybe get another tennis event in the UK. I mean, yeah, it's been, you know, it's obviously a great coup, I think, for uh, the UK, you know, more eyeballs on tennis, of course, always, always, always great. In particular, I think for events that sit outside of the traditional, um, you know, grass court kind of season. Um, And also, I think because, you know, we've had, you know, we were scheduled to have, I think, what Battle of the Brits in Scotland happen um, the end of uh, last year, but it didn't happen due to the the pandemic. So the fact that we're getting a deluge of um, events back in the UK outside of the the summer season um, is great. And yeah, if they can add the Billie Jean King Cup finals to that, that would also be fantastic. I'd be very surprised though. I feel like that would happen given that we've already got two big events. I feel like that might stay in, could stay probably in mainland Europe, but uh, we shall see. But yeah, great for great for British tennis. Absolutely. And we're just going to take a quick break now. Uh, But do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at the women's draw so far in Indian Wells, including Simona Halep's resurgence, uh, Naomi Osaka's dramatic exit and also Iga Sviantek getting into that dominant form again. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking at the women's draw so far in Indian Wells. Um, as we're recording this, uh, Maria Sakari is a set in a breakup in one of the ladies' quarterfinals. But that's in the bottom half of the draw, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, the top half of the draw, we already have a, a set semi-final between Simona Halep and Iga Sviantek. Um which always brings me back to that first match of theirs at Roland Garros. Uh, mm. I think, well, not their first match, their second match um, where we saw Sviantec, you know, beat Halep and go on to win win the tournament. Um, they have played three times uh, in total. This will be their, their fourth meeting. Um, and it's looking like a really, well, I think it's looking like a really tasty encounter because they're both in really good form. Um, Sviantec getting into her groove against Madison Keys in the last round for the loss of, of one game. And I always feel when Sviantec's in that mood, you know, she's very, very hard to beat when she's barely dropping games. Yeah, I mean, actually, both quarterfinals were a bit of a bit of a blowout, really. Because yeah. uh, with yeah. Simona Halep against Petra Martic as well, uh, very similar, uh, convincing, one-sided fashion. Kim, I'm not going to lie, uh, what this actually reminded me of was our predictions episode when I actually said that this was going to happen Simona Halep Iga Sviantec semi-final just putting that out there um, smug smug, <laughs> smug at all Joel I mean I, I got Sviantec I got Sviantec uh I can't remember who I said for the top half now um I don't know <laughs> well I yeah I I I know I've been very very impressed uh yeah Simona Halep's had a great uh, you know start to the season it, season it definitely feels like a you know a resurgence Iga Sviantec as well is playing the sort of tennis that I think has catapulted her to uh or, or very close to kind of the world number two ranking she definitely could the way she's playing I think a rival Ash Barty for that world number one position especially given you know Ash Barty feels like she's picking and choosing when you know she plays her, her tennis on the on the WTA tour so Iga Sviantec with the, the way she's playing can I think take full advantage of that um yeah all I will say is that yeah given how dominant their quarterfinals were I think we're you know in we could be in for a real treat in terms of both players on top form 
battling it against, battling it out against each other. I mean, where do you where are you kind of leaning towards Kim Halep or uh, Halep or Shriontek? I'm going to go with Shriontek. She was my pick for the tournament, um, and I know Shriontek has actually had a couple of three setters this this week. But I think, given her form against Keys, I'm I feel like she's in that zone. I think you know she was saying about how with those sort of tight matches where perhaps it does go to a third set she used to feel quite stressed but now she's kind of rejigged her mentality and she's just focused on having a bit more fun finding solutions getting creative um she alluded to Ash Barty who I think you know she said has a very similar kind of mindset so I think she's um you know, I know we've spoken at length before about her having a sports psychologist, but I think you know she's obviously really enjoying her tennis at the moment, even when matches are a bit tougher. Um, she won Doha, of of course, uh, recently. She's actually, I think, the first player this season so far to reach um, the semis or better at four events. Um, you know, she got to the semis of the AO and also out in Adelaide. So she's won the most matches on tour. I think she's going to carry that on. And I think she's going to beat Halep. Um, I'm confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I had I had Shriontek in my predictions, and yeah, I think she's been. It's been great. It's great to see Simona Halep there. I mean, she beat, as I said, Petra Martic, and Petra Martic beat Emma Raducanu earlier on in the competition. Uh, Raducanu, you know, she got to the, the the third round. She had a good win. Against your favorite, one of your faves, Kim Caroline Garcia, who was in a, a good run of form, she ran away with it. I feel in that um, third set after a second set blip. Um, yeah, she won that third set six one. But uh, yeah, that match against Martic for Raducanu again. I, I want to put it down to one of those sort of good losses in the sense that I think similar to Corda, she would have felt deep down that she should have won that match. I think she, you know, she served for it in the you know in that final set and you know from that point of view I think it's you know it is disappointing for her and you know all her fans but at the same time I think you know she will learn obviously you know a lot from from that defeat and and Martic who you know 31 years old has played on the tour for a long time very very experienced player very hard player to to close out a, a victory on and I think you know Raducanu and her you know, given that she's, you know, very much at the you know the start of her career, particularly on the the tour. Um, yeah, I think perhaps that counted against her a little bit um in that third set. But uh yeah, great I think to see Radikanu, you know, get to the third round and, and just have these battles, Kim. I feel like she's really kind of getting stuck in, you know, with some of these matches that are going they're going three, they're going, you know, they're going a distance. There's lots of time spent on court and I think you know regardless of you know winning or losing I think it's just just having those minutes just soaking all of that up it's just gonna really really help her and I think again I wasn't you know I was just I was I was impressed with how how Raducanu played regardless of yeah the, the result that happened. Yeah, and she has a very unconventional start to her tennis career, you know, being mm. kind of boosted straight onto the main show courts of stadiums, you know, after having won the US Open. And, you know, rightly so, uh, people want to see her, but it's a very different pathway up to, to stardom, isn't it? So, you know, you're inevitably going to struggle um, with that kind of expectation as well. And I think, you know, she obviously had that injury to her hip, um, which meant she had to retire um out in I think was it Mexico um against Daria Saville previously and I think her team had actually said that really she 
wouldn't have been able to play this tournament, um, you know, as a result of that injury. So she's obviously, you know, she may well not have been here, um, but she was able to play in the end and hopefully she'll be able to kind of continue sort of training well for for Miami um I know she's been enjoying her golf anyway uh out in Indian Wells <laughs> as has Rafa and some other players it is a big golfing destination isn't it and she's definitely got involved in that as well um but Joel another British player who actually did better than Emma Raducanu Harriet Dart um as a qualifier beating you know not only Anna Konya in the first round um but Svitolina and then Kaya Kanepi which has got to be you know some of her biggest wins of her career I know Svitolina was the first top 20 win of her whole career so absolutely fantastic you know battling through from from Harriet Dart there fell fell short against uh, Madison Keys in straight sets but you know I think she's absolutely done herself really proud this week with all her efforts yeah, absolute landmark moment, I think, in her career. Um, you know, I think for British fans like myself, it, it, it did feel like, you know, when, when was this moment, you know, when was this moment going to come? Um, you know, I think we've seen it sort of happen already for like Katie Balter and it felt like, you know, in that next line, you know, Harriet Dart, um, was going to be the one that, you know, you were just sort of wondering where it was going to happen. She's been on some, you know, she's been playing some, again, really, really good tennis uh, recently to come through qualifying all the way through to the, the quarterfinals. She'll be absolutely chuffed with that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, she can, I think, now press on and, and get up into the the top 100. And I think, you know, with this competition, it will just give her great belief that, you know, the calibre of a play of the calibre of opponents that she was beating, you know, the experience of someone like Knepi, the um you know the ranking of someone like uh you know Elena Svitolina um it'll give her that great belief that she belongs um you know on the WTA tour and that you know she can you know be like uh I think be like a Heather Watson in the sense of you know being a, a player who uh, you know plies their trade dom- predominantly on the you know the WTA tour as opposed to kind of the you know the ITF and and futures and what you know whatever else there is underneath the you know the the main tour so you know i certainly think that is the the transition that i think she's hoping to make and i think you know with these results it will give her yeah all the confidence that that she can she can go ahead and do it yeah definitely that is the next step isn't it to be consistently mm. in the top 100 consistently not needing to qualify for slams and no. just playing more of the top events um so you're not on, on that level below um absolutely hopefully this gives her the confidence to go to go forth and do that um let's look at the bottom half of the draw because we've got um two quarterfinals happening this evening um Zachary, as i said she is a set and a break up um she's yeah a game away actually um it's kind of disconcerting watching it because both her and Rybakina are wearing exactly the same outfit, which I just <laughs> always find kind of annoying. <laughs> why don't they ever? Why don't they ever coordinate? Or why don't the why doesn't the brand ever coordinate or the sponsor? Or can't there just be a WhatsApp group? But it's like, are you wearing this today? <laughs> yes. Or you know, instead of yes. like black top and colourful skirt the other one could wear you know colorful top black skirt um i think it's that geometric adidas skirt that you weren't a fan of joel they're both wearing that uh, i quite like it myself but um it's just yeah it's, well it seems uh, to be working for sakari and not working yes. for ribikina because yeah sakari looks like on her way to the semi-finals uh yeah she's been playing 
some pretty good tennis this week. She's just kind of going through the matches. Uh, she had a good win, I think, against Kvitova um, and Daria Savile as well. So, um, yeah, another semi-final. We'll see what she can go on from here. But she'll face the winner of Bedosa and Kudometova. I mean, Bedosa, Kim, is the reigning champion. Kudometova has been playing some really, really good tennis. I mean, she was playing great tennis, I think, against Naomi Osaka uh, that got a little bit overshadowed, which we'll, we'll come on to. But, um, yeah, both Bedosa and Kudometova are in some really, really good form. I mean, Bedosa had a really, really good good straight sets win against uh fernandez which i thought might have gone three sets i thought might there might have been an upset on the cards there but yeah again these both these players are in uh really really good form at the moment i mean bedos has never lost a match at indian worlds she's no. nine and oh she won it <laughs> she won it last october and yeah she's going she's going from strength to strength to strength and she's actually uh possibly one of uh i think three uh women both Shvontek and Zachary, as well as Bedosa, they could finish as the new world number two, uh, depending on how results go, which would be a career high for all of them. Um, Zachary, um, Bedosa is also trying to become the first women to defend the title since Navratilova did it in 1990 and 1991. So, what easy. Not, yeah, it's not easy to defend an Indian Wells title, especially not twice in, what, six months, I suppose it would be. So we'll have to see how she gets on. And, uh, and Kudometova has, I mean, her head-to-head yes. against Bedosa result is 3-0 to Kudometova. So, you know, it's, it's, it feels like it's maybe stacked a little bit against the, the reigning champion in Bedosa going in when you're looking at the, the head-to-head. But yeah, given the way that she's playing, I said, I watched some of the highlights of her match against Fernandez. I, I do quite, I do quite fancy her kind of coming through that given her, yeah, I think like, uh, almost like Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah. Just, just loves the conditions of the, the desert. And I mean, let's go back to that Kudometova Osaka match because, you know, Kudometova won it in straight sets. Uh, it was six love, six four. Um, but it did get overshadowed by uh, the heckling from the crowd. Uh, a spectator shouted, Naomi, you suck. Um, and that was as she went to start to serve at the start of the third game. Um, you know, Osaka was in tears, um, obviously affected by that. You know, it's obviously not nice to be heckled. You know, she got bageled and then was able to obviously get a few games in the second. But it was a straight sets loss. And quite unusually, she actually, as, as the, you know, as not the winner of the match, she uh, asked to be kind of interviewed at the end of the match to, to sort of have her say on on the event and she alluded to the the quite famous now incident of the Williams sisters being um heckled and and sort of having that racist abuse um shouted at them from from the crowd sort of many many years ago and obviously for a while the Williamses boycotted the tournament for for years um as a result of it and I mean it's just it's obviously it's horrible that someone from the crowd said that like why would you say that it's totally unnecessary it's totally irrelevant it's it's not what we want it's not respectful behavior um and it's yeah it's I think it's I mean I think I probably would start crying if that happened to me but it's also the fact that it's happened to Osaka who we know has really struggled and is you know struggling with mental health and is more sensitive to these sorts of things so it's it's like a yeah real kind of bad combination of the two isn't it yeah it was um yeah it was not obviously it was not nice uh to see no one ever wants to see i think a tennis player crying and, and upset on the court and i don't think fans 
you know, should be obviously saying things like that. I think the organ organizers of of the tournament in Indie Wells probably, I think, actually could have done better in terms of. I don't think anything happened because of it. I like, I think, you know, they could have, you know, identified the person, got them out straight away. Didn't feel like that happened, and um, yeah, I just think it was, yeah, poor, kind of poorly handled. And I think we all know. I think with Osaka, yeah, you know, she's had, I think, you know, mental health kind of struggles in the past. You know, she's come back to the the tour, and you know, she's a great asset to the game. Um, but I think you know we would have been naive to think that you know once she came back to the tour, she'll be right, you know, right as rain again. It's a you know, it's a process and. Again, I think you know, with this, 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 ver- the, these verbals that were that were shouted her way, just I think shows, you know, for Osaka how, um, you know, how fragile I think her, you know, her mental state is is at the moment, and th- that I think is where I think the, a lot of the debate is in terms of, you know, for people in terms of they're looking at that fragility and thinking, well, you know, this is part and parcel of being a sports star and you should be able to take it in your stride and handle it. I think there are those sorts of people. And then there's also people who say, you know, this shouldn't be part of the game that, you know, a tennis player like Osaka, they shouldn't have to deal with that. You know, we live in a society now where mental health is a big thing. It's on everyone's, you know, it's on everyone's uh, agenda. It's really kind of evolved, I think, over you know, the last, you know, certainly over, certainly over my lifetime and it just should be eradicated from the game completely. Osaka should never have been in this position in the first place. So again, I think there's sort of two, there's two sides of the coin and, um, you know, for Osaka, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it feels like it's inhibiting her game at the moment. Um, feels like we're a long, it feels like we're a long way off, you know, talking about Osaka in terms of remember her you know her streak at, at grand slams on on hard courts and um you know that sort of prowess she had and yeah I don't know whether she needs to take time out or know how to kind of prepare for these moments because you know as much as I want to tell her that you know this is never going to happen again it feels like you're always going to get some idiot in the crowd who's going to say something like this, whether they've had, you know, a few, too, you know, one too many beers or, or, or something else. It, it just feels like, I don't know, it's unfortunate, but it, it feels like, you know, it's not going to be eradicated overnight. I mean, you could, there could be um, a, a really naughty and nasty strategy of opponents sensing that she's very susceptible to these sorts of things and planting someone in the crowd, to just mm. yell things out, which I know would be horrendous, but you know, in a Grand Slam final, you think, oh, if I want to win, um, there could be some dodgy tactics going on. Um, I know she's obviously had quite a few of these scenarios with that sort of the final against Serena in, in the US Open. Um, you know, she's she's this isn't the first time things have happened on a grand scale where she's had to sort of, um, you know, it's really affected her kind of demeanour and everything. And yeah, I hope she kind of gets the support she needs and maybe she will take, again, some more time out. Uh, she's already taken a fair amount of time out you know she's dropped down in the do you think that's the right approach or do you think it's like you know she needs to like the best thing to do to to show this is just just like i don't know get on with it or or go on to miami or do you think what would your approach be yeah i don't think she should like give in to this idiot in the crowd Mm, definitely not i don't want it to seem like she you know has to take months off because of one 
awful comment from the crowd but um if she does genuinely feel like she would benefit from a, a shorter break or time off then so be it she's got to do what's what's right for her but I hope she can develop you know the resilience that she needs to overcome these you know mm. challenges that she'll face whether it's someone on the crowd or someone a player saying something nasty or you know unfortunately these things do happen in the world as much as we'd like to avoid them from happening and I also do agree the tournament should have done more to find that person and, and remove them um and you know it's quite you know we know sort of certain audiences can be quite boisterous um and it is going to be a fact of life isn't it she's going to encounter these sorts of audiences um on the big stages so I, I just yeah wish her a well and I hope we see her at Miami um but I also wouldn't be surprised if she decided to take some more time out but you know US hard courts are you know, she she excels on a US hard court. So mm. I would hate her to, to have her miss the tournaments that she obviously like really yeah. loves to play. Um, and moving on, we also have had doubles action as well. Uh, we've got one semi-final already sorted in the men's doubles. We've got John Isner and Jack Sock against Golubev and Zverev. And yeah, we potentially could have Kim, uh, Joe Salisbury, or Neil Skupski um, in the um, uh, in the doubles semifinals from a GB perspective, but yeah, a lot of a lot of seeds I feel have, have dropped were dropped out of uh, the men's doubles quite early on. Yeah, I was I was enjoying sort of Kyrgios and Unkokinakis. They couldn't quite continue their um, their form from uh, the Australian Open. I think they lost uh, to Isner and Sock, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it feels very, very feels very, very open. It might be maybe an opportunity for Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury to come through as the the highest seeds left in the draw. I noticed that Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Mies are back together as well, but they did lose to Ram and Salisbury in the first round. Um, Joel, mm. so sorry. <laughs> They've got a long way to come back. They were like they were like in, getting into the the tour finals, and they're now unseeded. Um, yeah, but they got the band back together. That's all that matters, Kim. <laughs> I also um love the fact that Feliciano Lopez and Sitspass are still together uh, <laughs> as a world cup pair. You know, they did really well. I think they won Acapulco, didn't they? But yeah, they lost out to Isner and Sock. Um yeah, women's doubles, we've got um, an interesting pairing, Corne and Fernandez uh through into the semis there. Uh friend of the podcast, Gabby Dabrowski, also in the semis with her partner Olmos. Uh they're going to play Mohammed and Shibahara. And then we've got Zhu and Yang in the other semi uh, against Cornel Fernandez. So that's all to come uh, over the next few days, along with the rest of the um, the tennis. You know, we'll have to see what happens later with with Rafa and Nick Kyrgios, Cam Norrie, Carlos Alcaraz, etc. Um, I think Zachary's just won. So that's another player through. Bedosa will be on next. It's a race against our bedtimes, isn't it, for, for Kyrgios and Nadal to get on court? Well, I think they're actually not before 10 p.m. So I oh, okay, okay. don't know how much of it I'll watch before I have to, <laughs> well, before I fall asleep out of tiredness. But if it's, I suppose if it's a really uh, lively match, I will um, do my best to, to stay awake. <laughs> um, we'll be back, I think, on Monday, won't we, Joel, to round up on yes. the finals action. Yes, yes. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode from The Passing Shot, our mid 
tournament Indian Wells catch up, remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on Indian Wells and all the tennis action on the ATP and WTA tours. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comments on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, you can contact us on all those social channels, but you can also email the show passingshotpod at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch that way. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Plastic Shot HQ to discuss all the finals action at Indian Wells. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.